Gonzaga is still interested in Jose Perez and Jeremiah Williams in the transfer portal, but if those options fall apart, they could turn to Boston College guard DeMar Langford to fill out the rotation. Who is he and why would he be a good fit in Spokane? Let's discuss. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to provide news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Happy Friday, folks. We are going to hear from my friend and women's basketball beat reporter, Matthew Walter, later in the show. He's going to come on to discuss Lisa Fortier's program, newcomers to the team, what the WCC women's basketball landscape might look like next season. Before we get into all of that, though, we got another transfer portal target to discuss here. We're Kind of running out of options in the transfer portal. We know the Zags are connected to Jose Perez out of West Virginia. We know they're connected to Jeremiah Williams, who is out of Iowa State, last played at Temple. And it feels like the Zags are looking to add at least one more player. They have three open scholarships. And it feels like one of those scholarships is going to go to a player who might actually fit into next year's rotation the way that both Perez and Williams likely would. Outside of those two guys and Noah Williams from the University of Washington, who we discussed on a recent episode, you everyday listeners almost certainly heard us talk about that. Uh, outside of those guys, there's we're kind of running low on options. And in fact, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you'll see when we do the interview with Matthew that I had another player in mind that I wanted to talk about, a guy named Myron Gardner, who was listed as being available in the transfer portal. He has actually gone pro, so I had to switch gears, talk about DeMar Langford here. Uh, and DeMar Langford would be a solid fit. Again, we're talking, there's not a lot of guys left who I think would really contribute to Gonzaga next year, but Langford I think could. He's a six foot five guard. He's from New Hampshire. Uh, he spent the last three seasons at Boston College, and when he went to join the Eagles, he was a four-star recruit and was considered like a pretty pretty good get for Boston College. Boston College, of course, in the ACC, one of the premier basketball conferences in America, but not a program that has had a lot of success. So for them to land a four-star player, a local talent four-star kid, was a pretty big deal for them. And in his freshman season, in that 2020-2021 campaign, he was very solid in 18 games. He dealt with injuries. Uh, he started the season on the bench, worked his way into the starting lineup, started nine of those 18 games, averaged 6.7 points, 4.2 rebounds, 1.4 assists, and 1.1 steals. He had 19 points against Notre Dame in a conference play or in a conference game, excuse me, shot 45% on twos, only 23.5% on threes. And look, I'll just tell you right now, folks, DeMar Langford is not a three-point shooter. He has taken 62 in his three-year career. He's made 16 threes in three years. That is it. That is it. Not a three-point shooter. Just want to get that out of the way right now. Um, and then in the 2021-22 season, we saw him really blossom. They had a new head coach, Earl Grant, took over, let him kind of take over a little bit more, let him run the ship a little bit more, drive and dish a bit more of a free-flowing offense. And we saw Langford go from averaging 6.7 points as a freshman to 11.3 points as a sophomore. He also averaged 4.8 rebounds, 2.2 assists, and 1.1 steals. He was very good for Boston College in the ACC tournament. They pulled off an upset victory over Wake Forest, and he had 19 in that game. We saw him tick up to 47.3% on two-pointers. Still not super efficient, but better. 
Three-point, again, still 27% there, was 67% from the free throw line. And then his junior year, this last season, 2022-23, he kind of dealt with injuries throughout the year. He was off and on the court at times and never really found a rhythm. He only scored seven minutes or seven points per game, excuse me, 2.8 boards, uh, 1.8 assists. He really didn't even play in the ACC tournament. I think he averaged three points per game in those handful of games for Boston College. Just had kind of fallen out of favor of the rotation a little bit. Uh, Again, injuries limited him to just 23 games, and they were kind of scattered throughout the season. So if he was actually healthy, he was either just coming off of an injury or about to get injured again. He just never really was able to establish a rhythm uh, in his final season with the Eagles of Boston College. Uh, Again, 62 career three-point attempts, not a part of his game. He does have solid steal numbers, and his 2.4% steal rate in the 21-22 season was top 20 in the ACC. So there is some optimism around the defense, which is what I want to talk about more with with his specific role at Gonzaga. In terms of interest right now, there's a lot of programs interested in him a few months ago, and that kind of has died down a little bit. I think teams have kind of gone in different directions. We know he took a visit to Temple. We know uh, some some high-profile programs were in on him for a while. Maryland was interested. Arizona State was interested for a while. Uh, some some premier mid-major programs, George Washington, Eastern Michigan. Uh, right now, it seems like there's two programs that are really interested in Langford, and that is UCF, Central Florida, and New Mexico State. New Mexico State needs bodies. I mean, they need people to come into this program. It was a disastrous year for them last year. Uh, one year removed from beating UConn in the first round of the NCAA tournament, UConn goes ahead and responds to that by winning the national championship. New Mexico State responds to that by hiring a new coach. Uh, new coach has tremendous inability to control the program program goes completely in the tube ends up getting shut down in February because of serious hazing allegations uh, an incident with a gun all sorts of issues so New Mexico State is in dire straits as they head into Conference USA next year they could absolutely use a player like DeMar Langford UCF just lost Ethiel Horton to the transfer portal he ends up going to Texas to help fill out Rodney Terry's bench uh, with the Longhorns so they have a need for a new guard after losing Horton. So those are two programs that make a lot of sense for DeMar Langford. Again, Maryland showed interest. He took the visit to Temple. Arizona State was involved. Richmond was involved. Jacksonville State's been involved at times. I think West Virginia could, in theory, get involved here if they lose Jose Perez, if he ends up not returning to Morgantown. Uh, and, And certainly Gonzaga, if they do show interest here, would be an immediate kind of top of the list type thing. Maybe that's part of the reason he's holding out. He's trying to see if another program might get involved here. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he's as elite of an option as some of the guys that we've talked about, even in recent weeks, like Paul Mulcahy, uh, like Javon Quinterly, who it doesn't seem like the Zags are interested in, but who I think would be a a fun fit uh, for the program. Uh, But he's a six foot five guard. He has three years of college basketball experience at the division one level, and he has defensive chops. And I think that's the key. He's not going to space the floor. He's probably not going to be a high level scorer for Gonzaga in general. They're not going to ask him to do that. He would be the fourth guard. I think a lot of the players we talk about would kind of slide into that third guard role behind Ryan Nemhard, behind Nolan Hickman, ahead of Dusty Stromer, and kind of alongside Steel Venters, depending on how many minutes he plays at the three, which is where I expect him to play, depending on what happens with Jun Sakio. But if they were to add DeMar Langford, I think he would actually be behind Dusty Stromer on the depth chart, or at least kind of 
equal to him. Whether he wants to do that remains to be seen. If his best option is go to New Mexico State, a program that's in complete disarray and be, you know, a, a more of a contributor to that program or go to Gonzaga where you're maybe not contributing as much, but you know, you're probably going to make the sweet 16. You might make the elite eight. Heck you might win the whole dang thing at Gonzaga. I, I could see that being more of an appealing option for him. Uh, the defense again is the big, is the big question mark uh, watching film. I watched a little bit of tape. It's it, it, he looks solid. Some of the synergy numbers are are solid for him defensively, not elite, you know, I, I think Jose Perez would be a better addition. I think Joe Toussaint would have been a better addition. Unfortunately, he went to Texas Tech, uh, so they don't end up getting him there. But I, I do think that he's a player that if he can come in, if he can be a good point of attack defender, if he can harass uh, opposing guards on the perimeter kind of play. I mean, he's he's spent three years guarding ACC guards, you know, really talented players at Duke, at North Carolina, at Miami. Uh, and so he has that experience of, of knowing what those guys are like. And they're really talented guards in the WCC. We've talked about that a bunch on this podcast about how good the WCC guards are. And so for him to have that experience, to have productive steel numbers to have the size and frame to be uh, one of the bigger guards in the WCC. I think if that's kind of the whole package, that's still enough for Gonzaga to say, Hey, you're our guy as our fourth guard, uh, eight, 12, 15, maybe minutes per game, probably not consistently that, but eight to 10 minutes per game, hound guys on defense, pick up a couple fouls, uh, get out and transition a few times for some easy buckets. Like if that's the role, We've talked a lot about trying to replace Malachi Smith. I'm not going to pretend that DeMar Langford is a full-on replacement for Malachi Smith. But if you feel that either Yo or Stromer can take on a bigger role next year, and you maybe don't need somebody to fill that full-on WCC sixth man of the year microwave scorer off the bench role that you had in Malachi Smith, but you just want somebody to come in and provide some veteran experience, provide some leadership, provide some defensive chops, DeMar Langford could be your guy. And in a time in college basketball offseason when there really aren't a lot of guys out there, there aren't a lot of options, Langford represents somebody who, if the staff feels good about his defensive instincts, could be a player that they replace. They pop on the roster, give him one of the scholarship spots, and, and have him fill a valuable, albeit limited, role for the Bulldogs in the upcoming season. But we're going to close up the show discussing Gonzaga's women's basketball new additions, how they are scheduling this year, and what their competition is going to look like in the WCC. All of that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. For a championship team, it is all about making sure every player is a perfect fit, and it is the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers and eligible items only. Exclusions do apply. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the 
day. Shout out to those everyday listeners on YouTube as well. We've got more fantastic stuff coming your way next week as we look at the Summer League recap. We look more at the transfer portal. We continue to talk about conference realignment as well. For now, though, let's get into our fantastic conversation with my friend Matthew Walter, all about Lisa Fortier and the Gonzaga women's basketball program coming up right now. Well, I'm thrilled to be joined today by Matthew Walter. Matt covers the WCC for women's basketball at the next hoops. He also covers the Pac-12, also covers the Las Vegas Aces. If you guys have not checked out the next, is a fantastic website covering all things women's basketball, started by Howard Megdahl, who is also one of the hosts of the Locked On Women's Basketball podcast. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and get a great show to talk about some uh, Gonzaga women's basketball here. Yeah, always happy to come on and talk about Gonzaga and the WCC, one of my favorite conferences. So always happy to join on with you, Andy. Well, appreciate it. Well, the one of the main stories, and we'll talk about this momentarily for, for the women's basketball team, is that there isn't really a lot of turnover. There's not a lot of new players, not a lot of players exiting, not a lot of players coming in. It looks like it's going to be kind of the same roster. And, and I want to talk about that. But I also do want to talk about what newness there is going to be on Gonzaga's roster, namely the addition of Utah transfer Naya Ajuku. Uh, Ajuku was the Idaho Gatorade player of the year in the state of Idaho. Uh, Fantastic production there. Ends up going to Utah. Doesn't play much as a freshman because of injury. Only gets into four games. Averages about three and two. Now she transfers over to Gonzaga. Of course, the last time a player from Utah transferred to Gonzaga, it was Britta Maxwell, and she was absolutely phenomenal for Lisa Fortier's team last year. Probably too high of expectations to put on a Juku, at least not in her first season uh, in Spokane. But I'm curious uh, what you think about bringing a Juku in to, to join this Gonzaga team. Yeah, I mean, she's a super athletic player, right? Six feet tall, can really attack the basket, uh, score around the rim. And I think, you know, at this at the, the mid-major level, right, there are not a lot of sort of what we call tweener players, right? She's not mm-hmm. a guard. She's not a forward. She sort of yeah. can do a little bit of both. She can guard a lot of different positions. She's very athletic, again, really good at attacking the basket. So that's the kind of thing that doesn't exist a lot at the mid-major level. And mm-hmm. those are the kind of kids you want to get if you're trying to compete at a higher level, which Gonzaga is every year, right? They're trying to compete with mm-hmm. The kind of teams that you know want to host in the NCAA tournament want to get a top six, five seed, and so adding kids that can guard every position when you're playing against non-conference opponents that can get to the basket pretty easily. And again, like you said, that's Idaho Gatorade Basketball Player of the Year. And I'm thinking of another one in Beyonce B, who was at Idaho, just transferred up to Washington State. She was the Idaho Gatorade Player of the Year. Just the mm-hmm. kind of quality of talent. It's, again, there those are not a lot of kind of players that you get at the mid-major level. So when you have an opportunity to get someone who has such a pedigree, and again can really do a lot of different things for your program, do a lot of different things on the floor. And, you know, she's not going to be asked to do a lot right away, right? This is a team full of returning talent. So there's not a lot of pressure on her to step in right away and make plays. She can learn the system and she can fill in where she needs and she'll develop as she's only going to be in her second season as a sophomore. She'll have lots of time to develop and grow in this in this Gonzaga program. And it's somebody who, you know, Fortier and her staff can coach and develop and is one of, you know, another great star at Gonzaga, but she's a great fit just because she can do a lot of different things. And she plays a position that doesn't really exist at the mid-major level. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think being able to bring somebody in who, who can develop within the system and isn't necessarily, I mean, like again, Maxwell was asked to do a lot right away, but she also had many, she'd been a double digit scorer for three years already in her college career. Uh, Juku is, is going to be asked to do a lot less, but 
we've seen Gonzaga's development works wonders for, for players who, who are willing to spend two, three, four years in the program. And, and she certainly seems like somebody who, who could benefit from that. And, and not the only person on the roster who I think might be benefited from that as well. And I, that's kind of where I wanted to go next, Matt, is talk about Bree Salenbein, who is healthy, allegedly, and, and missed all of last year with a knee injury. Uh, but she was the highest rated recruit in Gonzaga basketball, women's basketball history. When she joined the team, uh, she came out of the class of 2021. She was the seventh ranked guard in the entire class, 44th ranked player in the in the class, uh, according to ESPN. She placed 29 games as a freshman in that 21-22 season. Didn't play a ton, about nine minutes per game. We didn't really see, we just kind of saw flashes from her. And then she misses an entire season with a knee injury. But now it sounds like she's healthy. She's coming into a team, like you said, that, that has a bunch of continuity with the Trunk Twins coming back, with Maxwell coming back, uh, Vonnie Ejim, et cetera. Uh, so I'm not sure that there's a ton of playing time magically open, but this is a, a, a person who had a ton of pedigree coming out of high school. I'm curious if you think that we're going to see an increased role for Salenbein next season and what that might look like for, for 48's team. Yeah, and the other thing you have to realize, right, is she may have been healthy towards the back half of the season, but mm-hmm. otherwise you don't want to play her and lose the sure. red shirt, right? There's a balance there, and I think, you know, we saw the flashes you talked about. She clearly can shoot four mm-hmm. for four in one game in her freshman year from outside. She's mm-hmm. 6'2", but she's a guard, right? So that doesn't yeah. another thing that doesn't really exist at the mid-major level are these much bigger guards, and that's a very large, big guard. Again, she fits mm-hmm. that two-year position I was talking about with Njuku and just her ability to score at all three levels, right? She can shoot it from the outside. She can get to the basket she can do a lot of different things and like you said it seems like a lot of, with with lisa 48's program those freshmen they don't always get a ton of playing time because there's so many players mm-hmm. who stay and develop and grow and so maybe with the year of time in her red shirt she probably was healthy you know midway through the season but again didn't want to burn the red shirt to play her in a team that was already so loaded let mm-hmm. her develop you know we talked about the development that gonzaga does with that coaching staff that doesn't have a lot of turnover and i think that's another player who if she can develop the right way and can give you different looks right that's the thing at this level is giving putting on lineups out there that can give you a different look so putting mm-hmm. her into play at the three or the four at six two who can shoot the ball that's a different look like she can screen yeah. and pop and do different things that you maybe don't have with Avani Ejim or an Eliza Hollingsworth right and that allows you just to to give other teams different looks in different situations whether you're playing you know Arizona in a non-conference game or you're playing against Portland in WCC play it gives you different Mm -hmm. looks against different teams who do different things on the defensive side of the ball yeah well we kind of talked about that continuity already but I really do want to get into that because that's been the most fascinating thing to me in, in an era and it's different on the men's side and women's side. It's it's different. But there were still a whole bunch of players who entered the transfer portal in women's basketball. And we still see a lot of players transferring up to the higher levels, not as many players transferring down to the mid-major levels. But this Gonzaga women's team basically kept everybody together. They lose Michaela Williams, and she was a good player for them last year. She ultimately transfers to Cal. But they get the Trunk Twins back. They get Eliza Hollinsworth back. They get Vonnie Ejim back. They, uh, they get Brenna Maxwell back. Callie Stokes is back. Like They, they basically have the entire roster back with the exception of Williams and in an era where college basketball teams are often kind of turning around much more significantly than that. And in a, in a program that has this reputation for developing players, the way that 48 has done, I mean, it goes all the way back to coach Kelly Graves. I mean, they've been fantastic at this for, for decades. And now you have this roster that's going to be experienced that's going to be a little bit older than a lot of the teams in the conference and that has played together more than most teams in all of college basketball. How, 
important do you think that is uh, for Gonzaga, for women's basketball in general? Just how how impactful do you think it'll be that, that these, this team has played together so much already uh, in their careers? I mean, it means a lot. And I think, you know, a lot of that goes to Fortier and the job that she's done. And I mm-hmm. talked to her about it last year at Media Day, but just keeping coaching staffs together, right? Yeah. You get recruited a lot of the time as a kid by an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. You don't get to the head coach unless you're a high-level kid, unless right. you're you know, on your visit. The, the assistant coach is the ones you're talking to most of the time every mm-hmm. single day. And to have the same assistant coaches year over year over year, it just allows you to build and develop relationships. And that's what I mm-hmm. think has allowed Gonzaga to keep these kids and to make things work is they're building and developing relationships year over year time day over day time after time with these kids and it makes them want to stay and 48 has done a great job of building a family atmosphere at Gonzaga right so many of these kids those kids that I talk to talk about we like it here because Coach Fortier makes us feel valued. Gonzaga mm-hmm. makes us feel valued and wanted. And that's what kids want nowadays. They want a chance to develop and grow. And I think they see the history, right? They see the kind of players that they've developed, the Melody Kemptons, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the players that have come through this program at different levels and have become stars, whether they played overseas or gotten a chance to try to play in the mm-hmm. WNBA. That's what they want to see, right? That's what they love so much about Gonzaga. And I think this with this group, right, the continuity, there aren't a lot of teams that have played this much together and mm-hmm. it's going to make them so much better. And I think, I think we talked about it towards the end of last year. This is a team that I wouldn't be surprised at least a 48 schedules four to five power five or big con- mm-hmm. non-conference opponents, because this is a team with the returning talent where they could basically start five kids that have started a full season either at Gonzaga or at another school mm-hmm. and they could go out and compete for a, you know, hosting bid because of the quality of kids that they have. And I, I mean, almost all, I think four of their five starters, in my opinion, could start at a power five school, if not yeah. all five of them. And that just shows you how much better they are at, at recruiting and developing kids because all of those kids are really talented and having all this time playing together is only going to make them more dangerous. The, the pipeline of uh, WCC sixth woman of the year to, you know, all WCC first team. We saw that with Melody Kempton. We've seen that with Bonnie Ejim. Like it, they continue to, to keep talent in the system, in the program long enough to see them blossom into the best version of themselves that they, they can way outside of just the scope of women's basketball. That's, that's dwindling in a lot of places. It's not happening at the football level. It's not happening at the men's basketball level. It's just, it's, it's not happening as often because players are a little bit more anxious and a little bit more willing to, to go somewhere else if they think that that's going to be best for them. And, and I think you're right. The, the coaching continuity, uh, the track record of success developing talent is, has seemed to to really work at keeping uh, this, this team together for the most part. And then on top of that, they also just play a lot together even outside of the season. We saw four players from this team participate in a three-on-three uh, tournament in Colorado Springs for the Olympics. Ejim was there. Uh, Brenna Maxwell was there. Callie Stokes was there. I think Esther Little was the fourth there. We saw the Trunk Twins go to the Southeast Asian Games and play three-on-three tournament there. Like They're continuing to play together, and now they have an international trip together as well in, in August. They're going to go to Greece, and they're going to go to the uh, Montenegro, I believe. And I know I spoke with Callie Stokes on a podcast a few weeks ago, uh, kind of talking about how excited they are for this trip and this opportunity to play uh, some international games, some play some other opponents. But it really feels like 48 and the staff are just kind of hammering home getting this team as cohesive together as possible uh, leading into what should be a, an exciting season next year. But, uh, you know, I think having that kind of continuity should help it them hit the ground running and be solid from day one. 
Yeah. And, you know, so many kids I've talked to talk about the experiences of those international trips that you're talking about mm -hmm. and how much it brings a group together about doing some of the experiences they get to do in other countries, seeing things that most kids normally don't get to see at this age. And it just allows them to bond a little bit more. And these are the kind of trips where you, you know, you develop friendships out, you know, when you're on the road, whether it's mm -hmm. in the, the season or on these trips, that's where you develop, you know, extra you know, you're really strong relationships because you're yeah. stuck together all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can only get better and become more of a group is when you're out on the road. And you talked about these players getting to play in other situations, right? You also, mm -hmm. you know, Vonnie Ejim got to play with the Canadian national yeah. team in the America cup. So just they're getting experience outside of mm -hmm. playing on this Gonzaga mm -hmm. team, playing with, you know, people who are pros, players who are playing at high levels, playing against other people they wouldn't normally play with different styles they wouldn't normally see. And mm -hmm. you can bring all that back to the team when the season starts and you can pull from different situations, pull from different experiences. Yeah. And that allows you to be prepared when any situation occurs and you can know, say, okay, I've done here before. I've been here before. I know exactly what it takes, whether you're you know, down five with a minute to go, you're up five with 10 seconds left. You know, it's a mm -hmm. tie game and you need to win on this possession. Everybody has been in these situations and they know what it takes in that moment to get the win. Thanks to all the previous experiences, whether it's overseas with your national team playing three on three, and that can only help a group as the season starts and, and goes from day one. Well said. And I think uh, you, you kind of touched on it already too, of, of the scheduling and, and it feels like the, the right season for Lisa 48 to put as tough of a non-conference schedule together as possible. And it's not all up to her. Other teams have got to be, it takes two to tango. Other teams have got to be willing to play. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out. We know that they're going to play Arizona in the Colangelo classic. That's the uh, first time those two teams have met uh, a team that was ranked at times last year, the Wildcats. So we're seeing them start to put this together a little bit, but how important is it this year for Gonzaga's women's team to have a really tough non-conference schedule because, and we're going to get into it a little bit, Matt, but, the WCC doesn't look like it's going to be great this year. So it feels like, uh, and we've seen this on the men's side for decades, quite honestly, that Gonzaga has to schedule as tough of a non-conference schedule as they can in order to build up that resume going into March. Do you feel like there's a lot of pressure on this women's team to do that with how talented this roster is and, and how, frankly, little competition they might face in the WCC? I don't know if pressure is the right word, right? But what are you trying to do? Like, you, mm -hmm. are you, do you want to go out and compete for a host spot? Then you need to put yourself in those situations playing, mm -hmm. you know, power five opponents. If you just want to go out there and have the best season you can and, and mm -hmm. maybe have a chance to go undefeated because you don't need to schedule as high quality opponents, then right. you don't need to do that. But I think Lisa Fortier wants to host. I think Lisa sure. Fortier knows this is the, the group to do it, right? She mm -hmm. hasn't done it yet. She's had a couple of groups that have been very close to doing it. Mm -hmm. And this is a group, like we said, because of the continuity that can do it. And we already saw that, right? You talked about the Arizona game. I wouldn't be surprised if they play Stanford yeah. again. I wouldn't be surprised if they play other Pac-12 opponents. I've heard mm -hmm. Washington State is a possibility as a team that they could play against. So mm -hmm. just other Pac-12 opponents that are high quality, you know, they probably will play in another one of those tournaments like they did last yeah. year, competing against teams like uh, Louisville, like they did last year, like Marquette, mm -hmm. other NCAA quality tournament teams. Mm -hmm. and those are the kind of games that look good on the resume at the end of the season, just from playing those games and competing in those games and, and then winning those games, which we still mm -hmm. have seen that Gonzaga can do. So right. you know, the pressure is, is more on just Lisa. What does Lisa Fortier want? I think she wants to host knowing her mm -hmm. and having talked to her a little bit. I think she wants to say, this is the group that can do it. And mm -hmm. so she's going to probably schedule a very challenging set of non-conference games so that they can put the best foot forward right off the bat and show the committee this is a team that you know has the capability to host and has capability because we know that they're going to draw fans right they draw yeah. fans and that's not a problem that's something you need to sell but it doesn't isn't an issue at Gonzaga she needs mm -hmm. to show them that we're a basketball team that's quality worthy of hope being a top four seed yeah and I, I think I mean you 
the you have to be nearly perfect, and we saw it last year. I mean, this is a team that per- not only scheduled tough games in the non-conference in that tournament, they did well. They lost mm-hmm. to Marquette, but they beat Louisville. They, they beat Tennessee. Like they they played well in the non-conference, and then they dropped one ugly game to Santa Clara in the regular season. They lo- they lose the WCC championship game to Portland, who was a good team last year, and that nets them a nine seed. And then, of course, they they don't play well in their first game in the tournament, get beat by Ole Miss, and that was how their season ended. But this year. With the WCC being worse, I mean, BYU's gone. They weren't great last year, but they're still a perennial contender in the top of the conference. Portland lost a fair amount of talent. Like, the WCC looks like it's going to be pretty weak next year, and it feels like is going to have to be, I don't want to say perfect, because that's a really high expectation, but any conference loss next year probably bumps them, maybe not an entire seed line, but it's definitely going to hurt. Uh, is that kind of your impression on, on what this WCC is going to look like next season? Yeah, I would say so. I think, again, we've seen, right, the rise of Portland since Michael Meek mm-hmm. took over. And I think that's a, a program that still, even though they lost two very good players, mm-hmm. is going to compete for a championship. Um, you said BYU has left San Diego, which was the number three team in the conference last year, loses a lot of scoring. Same thing with San Francisco, the number four team. So mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. There's a lot of new, you know, two new head coaches. You have a yeah. lot of roster turnover with the transfer portal, with graduation mm-hmm. as we get towards the back end of these COVID years for a lot of these players. And so it's, you know, there aren't a lot of teams with consistency with the, the continuity mm-hmm. that Gonzaga has. Pacific is one program that has some continuity that brings back uh, four or five starters just like Gonzaga. So that's sort of where you're looking at, okay, who's going to bring back that kind of talent Pacific uh, Portland brings back two to three starters, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they add a transfer from San Francisco who was a 10 point a game scorer. So mm-hmm. there are some teams that will be able to be competitive. And I think will also schedule themselves in a way where they can at least not look like a bad loss. And again, like Gonzaga, you just can't lose to a team outside that top 100 net. I think yeah. because of the kind of team you are, if you go on the road and lose to a team, then the 75 net range, like mm-hmm. that's not a bad loss because that's a team that's trying to be a bubble team, right? That's right. a team that thinks if they play well, they can be a bubble team. And it's more of you can't lose at home, number one. And mm-hmm. number two, you can't lose to a team that's going to finish outside that net 100. And yeah. so those are really the things that like making sure you don't lose bad games, like that Santa Clara loss on the road to a team that ended up not even winning a WCC tournament or you know won one or even not one WCC tournament game last year. Mm-hmm. So those are the really important ones that you can't afford to lose. And then, like you said, it, it's being perfect not only in the – regular season and win the regular season, but then finishing it off with a tournament championship, because then that way you can say, okay, we didn't lose to anybody in this league. And yes, it was down, but we won every single game. Mm -hmm. And that way we show we're the best team in this league. And that's what, you know, it's very rare that you see a top four seed that didn't somehow win their conference. You know, Mm -hmm. there's obviously a lot of teams that get there, but especially from the mid-major level, you need to be, you know, competing and winning your conference championship if you want to be a host seed. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Always appreciate getting a look not only inside this women's basketball program at Gonzaga, but inside the WCC as well. I appreciate the expertise and looking forward to what should be a really fun season for for Coach Lisa Fortier in that program. Yeah, I was happy to join you, Andy.